I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourself. Heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. He must be dead. Is this a dead man, Ducky? We're not really like a silly show when you think about it. Um, it's all seriousness here. Yeah, no yeah. jokes. No jokes. I just hope no one at home is laughing. That's my goal. Yeah, the <laughs> real goal is we want people writing papers. At, here at Roast Morum Cast, welcome to the show. We write your research paper because tonight we're talking about a subject, and Tom's gonna let us know about the subject. That you is know how what we're our doing tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, your introductions are so much more welcoming than mine. Yeah. Oh, you know, I think they're well composed. They are. <laughs> All right. Well, my favorite bit. Um, how is your week? Let's start with you, Travis. Let's get you talking the most. Uh, my week's good. I'm officially deciding to, uh, me and my girlfriend are going to move back to the Northeast. Don't know where we're going to move to. We're going to move back because I can't handle Portland anymore. That's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Portland's losing a good one. Um, yeah. They we're, know. We're, they Tom nice. says he wants to move somewhere hot. I want to move somewhere extremely cold. I'm thinking... Maybe this, maybe the East Coast isn't good. Maybe I should move to like Upper Alaska. Yeah, get in the Arctic Circle. Yeah, you would do well. But then, like the hours, we're already dealing with a three-hour difference to do this show. Yeah. It's true. What is Alaska? That's like five hours. Five at least. I think. It's awful. Yeah, and but pu- if you yeah. lube up your internet lines with whale blubber, you can speed up time a little bit. Oh, that's. And true. then I could be a little closer. The day lasts that's- twenty-four hours in the summer, also. So. Yeah, you'll have to be you have to be awake for that. <laughs> yeah, it's daytime all the time. Uh, all right, so that's, that's cool. like that's kind of like the big news that I did. It was just thinking about moving. Just well, setting thinking. a date. Really, moving. what the big news was was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Tom, there what you were go. you thinking about? I wasn't thinking about nothing. <laughs> Truly, <laughs> I got nothing. I uh, just hanging out. Emptied the thoughts. See, I. I, I don't know. Like, this is my favorite part of the show. Historically, every single time we've done the show, I really love How Is Your Week, but now I have nothing to say. It's almost embarrassing. Of, you've run out of mm. days in the week. Yeah. Everyone yeah. knows that who listens to the show. <laughs> uh, Connor, did you have a good Thor's day? Uh, what, did, what, what did I do Thursday? <laughs> I don't want <know>. to <laughs> know about the rest of your week. I just want to know about Thursday. Uh, Thursday, I got a, I've slept in because I worked late. And then uh, I got Chinese food. It's pretty good. Tight. Dude, that's yeah. great. That's I sick. got Chow Hao Foon for the first time. Just big flat noodles. It was all right. Chow Hao Foon. Yeah. I've never heard of that one. Yeah. I like So late, whenever I get Chinese food on my own, I try to branch out. Right. And mm. Try a different menu item because I was, you know, for so long, I was always getting like either General Sao's or Lo Mein. Yeah. So in the last right. like couple of years, I've tried a few more Chinese food dishes. Obviously, none of these are like actual Chinese food. It's like uh, good old American. Are any of them yeah. any good? Did you find any ones you would order again? Um, the egg foo young, their like omelet thing was pretty good. But yeah. I have to, you have to really be in the mood for it. 
Yeah. Oh, I but love it. But it's kind of like a big, yeah, it's like a big egg fritter. It was tasty. I had those before. Yeah, that's the uh, the old Chinese breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that was that's kind of the only one of the ones I've tried that I would get again. The Chow Hao Foon, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it's like I'd rather have uh, good pad siu from a Thai place or lo mein from a Chinese place rather than that dish. There's one that I tried one time. It was like Shanghai something. And it was like it was like lo mein, but all the noodles are really, really thin. Oh. That I one was good. That's um Shanghai ramen. I think it's my my fun, maybe? Yeah, Chow Mei Fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've gotten that one. That was good. That was good yeah. too. You know yeah. what my favorite food is, guys? German food, because that's where we're going tonight. Oh hell yeah! Oh, we're I thought have, you were gonna say I do ch- love German food. Though. I thought <laughs> you were gonna say Chinese bubbles are your favorite food. I love just eating Chinese bubbles, balloons up in the sky. <laughs> oh man, I sh- that was. I'm kind of disappointed in my fellow Americans for not taking it in their own hands to shoot the, down the Chinese balloon. Yeah, yeah, why not? It was hovering. It, it was over Montana. How did no one fucking shoot it down? I've only read headlines, but it was very discouraging watching a balloon go from Montana to South Carolina. Yeah. And nobody's doing anything. No one took a single shot. Yeah. I mean, you guys can legally have anti-aircraft in most of your states. (laughs) Some guy has, like, a flak gun that he converted from when his grandfather was in Germany. Shoot it down, man. Yeah, why not? Point that 88 millimeter howitzer into the sky. Get praised, man. Yeah, personally, I did not want it to come down because it was increasing downloads to roast mortem casts. That was his entire goal. That was was the whole goal? Oh, that's cool. Oh, I didn't know Winnie was a fan of ours. I mean, honestly, this Rittenhouse really could have turned his image around if he brought his gun out. Oh, if he shot down the balloon. Or 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 they just shot him out of a cannon at it. Left or right, I'm here to defend you from the Chinese. And we like everyone just clapping for Rittenhouse. I'd clap for him if he shot down the balloon. That would be so sick. So, Tom, I really derailed that excellent segue you made. (laughs) We're going to Germany now. Okay. Uh, Oh, we're not roasting the balloon? The balloon's dead. We can roast it. Well, the subject has a head that does resemble a balloon. Ah, big head. (laughs) Yeah, he's got a big old upside down eggplant head. We're talking about, how would you say, I'm going to say it once right and then wrong the rest of it. Right hard Wagner. Okay, Reichard. Richard. Is it, yeah, Reichard. That's wow. how you pronounce that, or how the guy in the audio book did. And maybe he didn't get the pronunciation guide. I don't know. I actually see that all yeah. the time in my line of work. Wait, so Tom, we're talking about Richard Wagner? Yes, that's exactly how we'll be saying it from here on out. As we're not a bunch of pussies. I'm just gonna call him Dick Wags. Dick Wags works. Dick Wags. I like that. Yeah. No, I I did a little bit of research of my own about this guy today, and that was just basically listening to Wagner. Uh, in my apartment, and I'm pretty sure the Amazon guy thinks I'm like marching around in an SS uniform. Yeah, were you, were you also, were you also goose stepping uh, like, up and down the hallway? Thud, yeah. thud, thud, thud. Cool. Wow, let's hear about this guy, Tom. Yeah, so if you don't know who Richard Wagner is, uh, I'm gonna fuck this up a bunch of times. I'm just like, just call him Dick Wags. Dick Wags. Mm-hmm. I'll forget Wags. that too, knowing yeah. myself. Um, Wagner, he is one of, if not the premier modern, when I say modern, I mean, uh, like of, he was technically the, the romantic 
no, not the Romantic era. I don't know much about, I didn't write much of history of the music period, so I'm going to get that bit wrong. But let's put it this way. He is the archetypal German composer. Yeah, and okay. what do I mean by that? There's lots of German composers out there, Austrian composers. Like, you got to remember, Germany uh, for a long time, including the time we'll be talking about, was not one big old country. It was a bunch of small states. Yeah. They would kind of bicker about little things. There were disagreements, but there was also this overwhelming sentiment amongst the German people that they were supposed to be one. Richard Wagner was very much one of those. German supremacists. Yes. Never, we've never had an issue with them in world history. So not far. once. No, no, so. not at all. So you're telling me all these different states were bickering about whether the dress was white and gold and blue and black, but they knew it was a dress. Pretty much. They knew it was That's a dress. an old meme. It was a very old meme. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there you go. Thanks, Travis. Yeah. I was trying to look up what. What period what he period was? And Wikipedia didn't give me a quick answer, so I stopped. He was not. So here's the thing. I think he was active during what they would consider the Baroque period. I, okay, here. Someone's going to correct me on this. I would say he was like, a, he was during the Baroque period, but no one would call him like a Baroque composer. Right. Because he was rich. Yeah, because. Um, <laughs> He was. He wasn't that rich, actually. Um, which yeah, but you just enough. said uh, he wasn't Baroque. Hey! Oh, damn! <laughs> Walked right into that one. Um, yeah, we'll get into some of that. De so, like, a lot of the the, the Baroque style writing and stuff was kind of almost like passe at a point, and it comes back later. Let's get into it. I'm just talking myself into a hole. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about Dutchland. Old Dick <laughs> Wagner was born on the 22nd of May, 1813, in Leipzig, which is a, a Saxony region of Germany. Ah, all right. So, uh, that, Saxony. That, Saxony. We're in Saxony, okay, folks? Also, 1813? 1813. Leipzig? Yeah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> not, not good. Yeah, also, I mean, are you, are you going to say the same thing I was going to say why it's not good? This is where the saxophone came into play. <laughs> yeah, that's not very good at all. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're all referring to. Yeah, it's right. only good in the eighties, little like. But up until that point, I don't know. Well, then it gets abused by you yeah. know, Lisa uh, Simpson. Certain certain. Um, yeah, Lisa. Lisa Simpson. Elite families. Yeah, <laughs> of of the Americans. Um, Leipzig had just gotten through a major overhaul. Battle of Leipzig had just been fought a few months before Wagner's birthday. It's the largest battle in Europe prior to World War One. Yep. Woo! With over 100,000 deaths in three days. Yeah, big one. So he's born into shit. As to why his parents were fucking during this time, you don't know. Well, maybe, maybe they weren't. Maybe he's actually secretly French. That's actually a good point you have. Oh. I don't think it was his parents. We'll see, though. We All will right. see. Uh, um, I just saw I just saw a video about a woman going into labor at a McDonald's. You're telling me that uh, his mom went into labor over like corpses on a battlefield. Yeah, I think the McDonald's is worse. Still, though. <laughs> we know that when you have a, you know, you, you have a kid at McDonald's, they get endless uh, yeah, French fries. Yeah, you know, yeah. for the first five years. Yeah, <laughs> he's just getting like tiny little mini balls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I, I'm not going to get into the massive defeat of Napoleon during this time. It's 
a whole different episode. It's that'll a, be a future twenty-eight part series we will do on Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, basically, uh, it was rough over there. Yeah. Okay. As you can imagine, Richard Wagner was born into shit. He was the youngest of nine kids of uh, Joanna and Joanna Rosine and Carl Friedrich Wagner. Carl was a police pencil pusher and died of typhoid fever in November of 1813. Uh, so just a few months after Wagner is dead. Uh. No dad. That's okay. His mother, Joanna, remarried within a year to a playwright named Ludwig Geyer. They had already been having an affair while Carl was alive, so we do have a feeling that Wagner's dad was actually in the picture, just on the hush-hush. Oh, okay. There was some some correspondence found uh, to back this up. That it? Yeah. Do they think uh, he might be his dad or not? Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah, Geyer could possibly be his dad. And that guy who is uh, feeding him for a few months before he died of typhoid, he's a sucker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say, if you're going to do a dude dirty like that, you know, you're going to be cheating on this guy while he's pooping his brains out, dying? <laughs> Come on. I'm just saying, if you're going to cheat... Well, they can probably... If, if you're going to steal my wife's from me, give me typhoid. Yeah. I don't care. My well, life is over. He's probably too busy shitting to notice that there's another man in his bed. Yeah. yeah. It's like... <laughs> He's just, he's lost in the world of, of dysentery. Well, I think he probably just had so many ladies, like, going after him because he was shitting all the time and he's in Germany. That's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, honey, I heard a male voice out here. No, that's just your colon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's good that he, um, his, his dad was a cuck because Wagner is a better name than Geyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Stronger. Real. I don't know. Guy Fieri may have, may have changed that. Oh. Guy or Fieri? That's a very strong <laughs> name. <laughs> so um, no one really knows who his father was at this point, but Guy is very likely. Little Richard adopted his stepfather's name for a little while, but then he goes back to Wagner Yeah, see, so even he knew. Yeah. Yeah. The family moved to Dresden, where Geyer, uh, he was, uh, where Geyer was a Royal Theater Company member. So he would write for the Royal Theater. Stupid. And there's like a bajillion royal houses. Yeah, Germany pr- <laughs> just post-Napoleon. This research of like finding all these royal opera houses and theaters and stuff, it's just stupid. Yeah. It might as well be subways. <laughs> They're just like fucking everywhere. <laughs> And they're all probably blown to bits anyway after World War II, so... That's that's probably a good way to look at, like, the late-stage Holy Roman Empire is just, like, franch- fast-food franchises. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, well, actually, technically, yeah, I am the CEO of Hardee's, but it's also Carl's Jr. in this region. Like, I'm the Duke of Saxony, but also Bavaria, so, so it's basically the same thing. It's kind of the same, yeah. Yeah. Sir, we will not serve you in this Panera unless you wear your grape leaf. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I never wear my grape leaf in the Panera. Well, you're a bad boy, aren't you? Well, they don't make you, they don't enforce that in the Paneras of Portland, do they now? That's true. They're like, well, we need a little bit extra of that umami flavor in our French onion. (laughs) Come on over here, boy. (sighs) Oh, sorry your college debt got all fucked up on you. Here's a free bowl. All right, Geyer created an upbringing that nurtured Richard's creative side. He kept the company of musicians and actors. Geyer was also an excellent portrait painter. So lots of Richard, um, lots for Richard to glom onto. All these arts around him. Mm. 
As a boy, Richard was fascinated by the pu- published works of the Brothers Grimm. They had just started coming around, out around then, the 18, 1815s or so. He would read all and any of it. He loved fantasy. Mm. That was his shit. So, like, they're basically the R.L. Stein to a uh, little Wagner here. Pretty yeah. much. He's just, yeah, he's like, I gotta read Beast for some of the East again. Wait, who was the... In the, the Grimm movie that they made, like, ten years ago, it was Matt Damon, and who was the other guy? Do you oh, remember this know. movie? Was yeah, it, I remember that. Yeah. Was it someone from I, Train Spotting? I'd like to think yeah, that. Yeah, it's gotta be, like, someone <laughs> some I thought it was, uh, what's his name? The dude in Fight Club. Brad Pitt? Not, not Brad Norton? Pitt. Yeah, Norton. I don't know. I'll look this <laughs> up. Look this up. <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to think about Wagner until I know who was in the Who Grimm he's thinking of, tale. yeah. <laughs> See, Geyer was also pals with Carl Maria von Weber, a well-known composer and director of the Dresden Royal Theater Company and German romantic opera pioneer. Weber and Geyer allowed him to play around in the theater all he wanted. So he had access as a young boy to the theater rooms and when they were practicing or not practicing, he could fuck around with the organ and stuff. Even though he wasn't particularly musically inclined till later on, uh, he would just hit that organ. Who doesn't... like? I would love to run into a church or a theater and just hit one of those giant pipe organs. That's so sick. Oh, me yeah. too. I, yeah. Especially, especially when there's nothing to do back then except die of typhoid. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you bet your ass I, I'm going to slam on that organ. I would totally go into that organ and just go... Rolling my knuckles. Yeah. And the crowd... You could just do that for hours and the crowds would They'd just be, funnel in. Yeah. They'd have their mind blown. Throw money, throw money at you. <laughs> <laughs> so effortless. By the way, it was Heath Ledger. Oh, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Matt Damon oh. and Heath Ledger, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, with Monica Bellucci as the romantic lead. Monica Bellucci? There's a Bellucci sister? Yeah. Oh Isn't it? Bel- yeah. Or is it a daughter? Ah, who, yeah, it's got to be a daughter. Not Bellucci. Bellucci. Who's the Bellucci? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I'm from New York. That sounds the same. Bellucci. Yeah, Bellucci. it's the same. John Bellucci. It's like, and his it's like brothers, mozzarella, oh, mozzarella. All right, well, back to this. Unfortunately, good guy Carl died when Reichhard was eight. Oh, can't keep any dads around. I just can't stick to a script. I don't know why I call him Reichhard. <laughs> Dude, he's hard at this point. I just don't care that much. I'll be honest. <laughs> hey, that happens. That's where I'm at. Joanna didn't have much room in her life to encourage little Richard's creative side. Truthfully, he didn't show any promise of being a, a musical genius or anything like that. He was just interested in it, in it. Funny enough, all Richard's older siblings, they displayed all kinds of talents from real young ages. He was kind of a late bloomer. Oh, so he couldn't even do like the knuckle thing that Travis is saying. Couldn't even. <laughs> yeah, it's couldn't even do that. Small, stupid hands. Uh, I mean, why, how, why are you saying that like that, Connor? That's hard. This hard musical. Travis, I can't do that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. People say, like, oh, can you play chopsticks on the piano? I'm like, I have no idea what that even means. <laughs> I can play that in my mouth with the Chinese some young dude I was eating. <laughs> <laughs> Music was still present as Joanna took, uh, she took in, like, her little boarding house she kind of set up. You know, her husband, second husband just died. She had this property, so she treated her property like a boarding house. And because she had these connections to the theater world, she was bringing in all these traveling artists and musicians and whatnot. So they would come in, and they played their little horns, and Richard would be like, Oh, this is sick, hell yeah. 
Wait, goes, isn't this... this? Watch this scale, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> isn't this like how? Maybe I'm getting confused with a different musician. Isn't this like Elvis's story, where like his mom runs a boarding house, and then I, you know how like there's that theory that Elvis is still alive, and I watched the uh, Boz Lerman, whatever that guy's name is, uh, the, the guy who did the, the recent movie. the recent Elvis movie. Yeah. Now I'm convinced Elvis didn't exist because that shit was <laughs> awful. And he's just like, a, no one would have lived a life. A societal like construct. Yeah, like. yeah, pretty much. He was <laughs> no, just like it... <laughs> like. Uh, I don't know, like um, Robin Williams in that uh, AI movie that he was in. Not the... Anyway, continue. No, but isn't that like the archetypal, like early rock and roll or blues where it's like, oh, well, their mom ran a boarding house and that's how he learned how to play his guitar. Yeah, by getting raped by a bunch of sick theater people. (laughs) By by the Johns that his mom was serving? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there probably is some truth to that. By age 12, Joanna finally agreed to pay for Richard's piano lessons. He practiced to a point where he was good enough to play some clunky marches, but never really improved pretty much for his whole life. He was not a great piano player at any point. Wow. Oddly enough, he picked up aerobatics and maintained his passion for that skill his whole life. So that's fun. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Joanna had a fear that Richard uh, would become an actor, which... Every mother should fear. Yes. She's the one bringing in all the theater people, and she's afraid of him turning into one of the theater people? Well, yeah. She wants to have a, a child. I mean, a grandchild or something oh, right, at some right. point. Doesn't want... <laughs> Go into production, son. Yeah. Stay on the back end. So she sent to, uh, she sent it to some stuffy old school to get him properly educated. Overall, she became no fun at all after Carl's death, so didn't really have a lot of patience for kids. Um, in fact, she kind of started picking on her kids a bit, making them do impromptu prayer circles. Oh, shit. So that's... Just cause? Just like... She was, she went from being like, yeah, we're fun people who like, uh, art and shit, to being like, we have to pray eight times. Damn. She became a Muslim. Ugh. <laughs> which isn't Christian fun. Muslim? Yeah. How many, wait, how many siblings was it? Uh, it was nine, I think. And he's the... He's the, he's the ninth. He's, he's the, the youngest. youngest yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And she really dished it out to him the most. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it goes either way with the youngest. Yeah, you're either the baby, the family that everyone loves, or the, the last punching bag. <laughs> yeah. You're the sweet little cherub. Richard was not very into school. The only thing he cared for was his Greek history and uh, myth classes. He liked his theater, and he liked German. German as in, like, his own language. The grammar thing. (laughs) Dude, I I love German things. Like, (laughs) Vienna sauces. Wait, that's not German. Uh, Back then it was. It it was, yeah. Yeah. Back then, okay. Austria and Germany are the same place. Yeah, it's kind of. We don't like to say it, but. The only reason Austria exists is because something bad happened in 1933. Yeah. That's the reason Austria's still around. (laughs) All right, well, I like Vienna sausages. These are my favorite classes. Yeah. (laughs) In 1826, at age 15, Wagner wrote his first play, heavily influenced by Shakespeare, Lubald. The play was like Hamlet, but far more uh, murderous. Ah. I don't really know what else. Hamlet's already kind of murderous. Well, I think he just murdered more people. The body count was high. All right. I mean, it's got to be bad. 
Like, <laughs> like remember all the remember all of the like you know uh, video things that we used to do in high school. Those were terrible. Yeah, they were. Like when you look back at them, yeah. terrible. I mean, it's just a fifteen-year-old who just read Hamlet, going, "I can make that better." Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare is awesome. Kill more people. One of my one of the worst behind-the-scenes features you can get on any DVD. I think it was on Unbreakable. It's M Night Shyamalan like playing back his high school videos. Oh shit, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and he's talking about how artistically advanced they are, and it's like two little kids in fucking party city masks. <laughs> yeah, they're just fighting in the living room. Like yeah. their dad is just holding the camera. It's one shot. It's like this is yeah. this is nightmarish. And he's like, I'm I'm gonna make movie signs one day. Yeah, he's talking yeah. like this, and he's a man in his forties talking seriously about it and critiquing like oh. him when he him and his brother when they were around the age of ten battering themselves with pillows it's like how is this fucking how how did you do this <laughs> this is the biggest twist of all yeah <laughs> yeah so that's what i'm assuming this wagner play is like <laughs> yeah kind of um his mother got him homily and violin lessons those were quickly abandoned richard was extremely emotional and passionate about theater and music hearing a performance of beethoven's ninth synth, uh, symphony was a life-changing experience by 17, he had left two schools, kept distance from his family, and decided to be a man. He partied hard, started drinking and fucking passionately, and he was attracted. <laughs> well, yeah, he was he was attracted to low lives and brothels, basically. Which how he's, he's becoming a man. He's, he's awesome. growing up. <laughs> yeah, he's good time. I'm sure. Also, in the wake of all these Napoleonic wars and stuff, there was plenty of brothels to go around. Yeah. So he was definitely demystified by these people because when you're young, you walk into these places, you go, oh, these people are fucking awesome. They're deep. They have stories and stuff. But then he did quickly learn that most of them were just bores. Because, mm. mm. like, you tell a drunk person, oh, I'm 17 and I have a beautiful idea. They're going to go, that's awesome. Tell me all tell about me. it. <laughs> tell me your idea. <laughs> and then when he realized no one was actually listening to him, he was like, you're all pigs. Mm. Mm. He flipped. Yeah, they just wanted to fuck. Yeah. So, Joanna is actually paying for all of his drinking and stuff, and she's not really rich at this point. So, she goes, you know what, Richard? If you want to drink and fuck, you're going to get a job. That's responsible parenting. I like how he was like, I'm going to become a man. Mom, can you pay for my whores? <laughs> that sounds like Long Island in a lot of ways. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. He's Look at all the a, men we're surrounded by. A basement apartment that's like detached from the house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty. Much, I'm a yeah. property owner. My property is my parents' dormer. Mom, yeah. drop me in Rockville Center. <laughs> I'm meeting abroad. We all have libertarian dudes who drive around Dodge 1500s who'd be like the first person to tell you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Still live with their parents and have all a have nice. a union job because their dad got it for yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> That is, uh, that's here. That's, that's Dickie Wag. Yep. His brother gave him, uh, well, not his brother. His brother-in-law gave him a job as a proofreader for Carl Friedrich Becker's, let's see, what is this called? It's a, it's a, I can't, it's a German word. It's basically world history book. An almanac of sorts. Encyclopedia type. Yeah. Einschleiven sorgen sich sagen zum zum boom siegen langenbonger fucker. That sounds like a German word. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, so he, yeah. he found this book to be his first true education. He read this and was like, oh, the world is big, and that's cool. <laughs> he read one Wikipedia article. It's like, holy shit. Damn, I, I'm going to tell everyone what I learned. 
1831, he enrolled at Leipzig University. He joined the Saxon Fraternity. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He was highly unqualified for enrollment, but I guess Joanna had pulled enough strings. He joined the Saxonian fencing team and challenged everyone to a duel. None of the challenges were accepted, uh, which is good because Richard was not good at fencing. <laughs> well, we know that he could probably touch his penis with his tongue. You know, like This guy's kind of like got a lot of acne. I don't want to fight him. Yeah. I might get goop on my white suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh i think i think this was also maybe this was a little earlier i think that was more of like the like the 17th or 18th century where like germans were renowned for their fencing style because they like would try to cut each other's noses off oh um, i remember Tycho about this. yeah yeah Taihu brahi but i think that existed until about the 18th century or i don't know the 19th yeah, century I, but like I, I think there were like Prussian generals who like yeah. still had the style of their nose where it was like cut off as, as yeah. late as like the 1900s. Like, yeah, like so late, late 19th century. I have a theory about Michael Jackson now. Yeah. <laughs> he was super, <laughs> super into a sick fencer. Prussian fencing. Really into Prussian fencing. <laughs> yeah. You should have seen the other guy. <laughs> Point to me. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about another one where somebody cut their nose off and he, he was a surgeon, so he. Picked it off the ground, popped it in his mouth, and like ran home and sewed it back on. Yeah, but we did hear that story. I forgot what episode. I don't remember, but that was the style. Like, no one, if you were like an Englishman or a Frenchman, like, you wouldn't fence Germans. Oh my God. <laughs> Not only did it like continue into the 20th century, it didn't even start until 1825. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so Richard is actually out of his mind then. Yeah, because yeah. if it started in 1825, this he's doing that in 1830. Going, he's like, yeah, I'll fuck all you this up. Sounds awesome. I hate my nose. You don't need to smell to write music. <laughs> oh wait, this is the this is the big scar in their cheek, not the nose cut off. Oh, mm. yeah, because Tycho Brahe was what 15. That was the fifth or uh, 17th century. I Se think okay. it was 1600s. Yeah. All right. Well, either way, let's continue. Yeah. While in school, Richard began uh, a really cool thing, which was being addicted to gambling. Oh, that's so sick. Now, he was a total sucker for that. What was that called? The sunk fallacy? Sunk cost, sunk cost fallacy. fallacy. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, What's that? I don't even know anything about fallacies. I just throw all my money at A fallacy is, oh, fallacy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know about that. <laughs> No, but what is this some cost fallacy? Some cost fallacy is basically like you're in it, you're in the gamble so much already, so at some point you're going to like, win, get the money back. I, I think there's another, maybe I'm not describing it. I think it. the some cost fallacy is like you're, you've already risked everything and lost it, so it's gone. Right, so you and, can continue doing it. Yeah, but you're thinking like, oh, I need to recoup that rather than like it's gone, I should just move on. Right. Why is it a fallacy? That's just science. It's investing. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find I, yeah, out. good question. <laughs> All right. Well, let's continue. Okay. This habit got to a point where he stole his mother's savings and bet with it. Oh. The whole thing. So Ooh. check this out. On a considerably lucky stroke, he won the bet. 
<laughs> that Double he used his mother's savings. Double for. or nothing. <laughs> oh, and he walked damn. away with a massive sum of cash. So if that bet went wrong, we might never have read about this guy. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Is this the most consequential bet in human history? I, I would think so, at least for German history. Uh, and yeah, and the world. And no, Jewish yeah, history yeah. By, by proxy. <laughs> also, better definition of sunk cost fallacy, it's... Continuing with a strategy because of how much you invested in the strategy, even though abandoning it would be a better idea. So it's not a fallacy because it's not a better idea to abandon it. Keep going. Double down. Oh. Sounds uh, like Martingale. Martingale that shit. Whatever you lost, you need to spend double next time. That's <laughs> martingaling. Go think about that. Richard saw his winning as divine intervention, writing an overture to honor the gambling gods. I'm not even kidding. This, this song right. goes out to all the dice. Shout out dice. Yeah, so <laughs> no, this guy, he was big on divine intervention. He's He gets very into philosophy a lot of points in his life, but he never walks away from this. So, from a young age, he's just like, I'm supposed to be doing great things. So a passionate German who believes that he is ordained by God, uh, who also takes incredible risks. That, uh, that can't go wrong. And and you know, not yeah. very good at art right now. <laughs> yeah. He reminds me of another famous German, Klaus Kinski. <laughs> That's who I was about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Audience. <laughs> the overture he wrote was scribed using different color inks for different instruments. He thought this, this would blow people's minds and inspire players to use more passion behind their playing. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's dumb and instead they're all like we're all colorblind <laughs> yeah so like he had enough money at this point after the winnings where he was able to hire someone to actually put this production on for an overture to honor his gambling basically oh yeah, i yeah. believe the bet went right <laughs> yeah did he invent one of those pens where you know it has the different colors on it where you can go <laughs> okay what I love is that he used different colors. Um, it was limited to three colors. Yeah, it was, was black for most of it, and then like two of the section. It was like green, and I, I don't remember, but it was like very underwhelming. Yeah, and the red is just his blood. Like, yeah, he was. Yeah, <laughs> I can use this. Oh yeah, my my artistic freedoms. So the overture was performed, and it was very odd. See the semi-full performance. They were into this big like. The audience was into this big kettle drum smack that was being performed at the end of every four bars. <laughs> Just like a big old boom. Bong. Yeah. And while it was while it was happening, Richard thought that, oh my God, I've made a massive mistake. So he has to sit there while this 20-minute overture is being played and just hear that kettlebell every four bars. <laughs> every time he's like grinding his teeth more and more, thinking, why did I do that? <laughs> So he was so fucking embarrassed, and he didn't bother to write an ending to it. <laughs> oh, he invented the fade out song, kind of. So when the uh, just keep doing that over and over, and uh, see if they get bored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The orchestra just kind of stopped playing, and the audience didn't know what to do. Uh, there wasn't like an applause or booing or anything. Just like confused Germans. <laughs> In uh. Biedermeyer fashion, just standing up and walking out of the place. This is no good. We must know when it ends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had rented at the Leipzig Theater for this, and he avoided it like a, the plague after. He was just like, wasn't, that wasn't me. <laughs> I swear. Usually at the end of a music, I, uh, somebody shouts, this ends now! Yeah. Usually <laughs> well, that's how we out. know it's over. <laughs> 
I'm just so. imagining like they're kind of just repeating the same like final like stanza over and over and like, like a record skipping yeah, at one point like a musician's like i gotta go somewhere like yeah. i gotta go. yeah, <laughs> yeah the flute leaves and then another guy leaves finally the kettle drum guy goes and then that's what it all felt there's by. only 36 clocks in town but i can tell you <laughs> i need to go <laughs> uh richard realized he needed to actually refine his talent after this event Although there was no way he was going to actually start attending the classes he was currently enrolled in. He was going to, you know, He's do extracurricular out. things. He sought out Theodore Weinlig, the reader, the, the reader, the leader of the Leipzig Boy Choir. Uh, apparently this was a world-renowned position and everyone knew who Weinlig was. And he asked him to take him on as a pupil. Weinlig agreed on the condition that Richard would... Stop composing anything but fugues for the next six months. Now, a fugue, you've all heard one. You might not be able to put your finger on it, but imagine one of those little kind of like, I, I would say it's like a classical term for ditty, right? A little ditty you got there. So Beethoven sits down and he starts playing a melody and then he has a counterpoint. It's kind of like a theme, and then he goes crazy for a bit. He plays the theme again, and that's the fugue. They're relatively short pieces. They're short little bits. They're really short. Oh, okay. They're complicated, though. This was so out of style, too. That right. People were not happy. No fugues are out. To be right. Right, so um, yeah. a modern example of a fugue would be, Get in the zone! Auto zone! Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it would be like... <laughs> it, is I, it like the test sound? That... Is no, no, no. So, like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe. I mean, yeah. So the idea behind a fugue is uh, they can be longer, but it's multiple movements. I know. Look, I'm not very familiar with this caveat, but from what I understand, it's a lot more intense writing, and you write smaller sections. That's the focus. Instead of writing giant operas and sonatas, which could be oh. 20 minutes long, it's like, hey, break it down into small sections. So and he get, came up with the idea of LPs instead of albums. That's the same thing. Al uh, EPs. <laughs> EPs yeah. instead of albums. There you go. That shows my <laughs> musical knowledge. All right, oh, well, this, is a, this is kind of like, uh, it's, it's more of like of the prog metal-y kind of thing, right? Where they're doing solos and like, you know, like yeah, on it's organ. Basically like, it's like stop being so theatrical and work on the skill of like recognizing note relations. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. And I feel like we're definitely focusing on this too much. So. I don't know. This is kind of fun. It, it is kind of yeah. interesting. It sounds yeah. like uh, writing poetry instead of novels. Right. So, yeah, exactly. You're yeah. doing these small pieces, exercises. Like the craft has to be a lot finer, even if it's not as much content. You ha Yeah, you have to turn out more and you have to do more in a less amount of time. Wagner was not happy that he had to write these because they had been out of style for 70, 80 years. And because Wagner really believed that he was a gift to humanity, he was like, why am I spending my time writing something that no one wants to listen to? Mm. Like, I have to reinvent music. Yeah. It'd be like Shakespeare writing ad copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get in the zone. Auto, Auto zone. zone. Yeah. Or, or Kanye doing barbershop quartet. That would be pretty cool. Well, you know, uh, Pusha T wrote the ba da ba, I'm loving it for McDonald's. He wrote that? Yeah. And he's written like five other like jingles that have been used for like decades at this point. No shit. But yeah, the, I'm loving it is all Pusha T. 
Ah, fugues. Really? Yeah. yeah. Fugues, who knew? Well, either way, the fugues worked because six months later, Wagner was just dribbling opuses and sonatas and overtures out of his head. No problem. They were structured well, as opposed to the other one that wasn't structured. Mm. Um, the one problem was because he had been focusing on a style he didn't like, he didn't have any actual flavor to them. So they just seemed like every other one, but it's a step forward. Yeah. Because at least he could hand a complete project in. Within a year of ending his study with Weinlig, Richard wrote a few sonatas and overtures and a symphony that were performed at Leipzig Theater. This time, the attention they received was good instead he, of just dissipating. Did he bring the kettle drum? <laughs> no, I don't think he did, actually. He might never use one of those again. So this is... He's 19 now. He's a young boy. He's accomplished a lot. At this age, he begins writing his first opera, The Wedding. He never finished this one. He abandoned and destroyed most of the composition because of his sister, Rosalie. Being a successful actress and the family's main source of income, Rosalie had a social pull and pretty strong network. So this, he, had... this, was, this was actually released in the mid-2000s. It was called uh, Wedding Crashers. Oh, that right. Was, with, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. with Vincent Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. They found it in Germany, and they were like, let's just release it. Let's yeah. try it. Let's Bradley see. Cooper yeah. is actually one of Wagner's descendants. That's yeah. why yeah. he's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so he decides to dedicate the play to Rosalie in an attempt to patch things up between him and his family. You see, he is, as I mentioned, the whole gambling thing right. and just being a shithead all like the time. That. They didn't really like talking to him anymore. Um, turns out that Rosalie did not like the opera, so right then and there, he tore up the manuscript. <laughs> oh um, he Dude, was thank really... you, Vince Vaughn, for gluing it all back together. That's all yeah. I gotta say. <laughs> he was weird about his sister most of the time. He wrote letters of adoration that she never really reciprocated, him wanting to spend, like, way too much time with her. Like, he was just like, I can't believe we don't hang out more. Very much like he'd write these letters every day. <laughs> She's like, you live right here. And he thought of uh, them as having like the strongest bond a uh, man and woman could have, like even more so than a spouse. I don't think he was sexually like engaging with her, but it was creepier in the sense that like she wouldn't reciprocate. Like she would ignore him. basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, later, he would write about how talentless she was in his autobiography. <laughs> so I guess things just kind of flipped. Mm. Um, he began to write his next opera, The Fairies, with Rosalie's taste in mind. It's about two fairies who fall in love. No, not two fairies. It's about one fairy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> can I have two fairies, two fairies in fall in love? Yeah. That's that's modern fucking literature. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's about a now fairy. on Netflix. Two fairies fall in love. <laughs> brought to you by Richard Wagner, <laughs> and from the man Billy who brought Ike. you the Third Reich, <laughs> Billy Ike. <laughs> the boys, i.e., the fairies. Awesome. I can't wait to watch that. <laughs> okay. It's about a fairy who falls in love with a mortal king, and after much trial and tribulation, they get married and live happily ever after. Probably, so, probably the only time Wagner does a, a happy ending. Mm. So Peter Pan. Kind of. Except with Bonin. I don't know. I think Peter Pan probably banged that fairy. He was a boy. Well, I mean, that fairy was pretty tiny. But hot. All right, Travis. <laughs> you can <Good> point. <laughs> I'm just saying, if they're that small, there's a thing called sounding, Tom. Don't judge kinks. 
He took up an internship at an opera house that his older brother, Albert, sang at. He took the gig pretty seriously this time and treated the role as a learning experience. Not to say he wasn't punching people's faces in beer gardens. He was at least showing up on time. He was still fucking around is what I'm saying. Yeah, still doing his shit. He's Mm -hmm. 20, so. Yeah, there's not a lot of detail. You know, no one's writing about it. He's still kind of, he's not like royalty. He didn't really like have these public exposés about himself. Um, He wasn't famous or anything. He's just a guy punching faces. I mean, I feel like this is just normal German behavior in a beer garden, right? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, that's, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, when he finished the fairies, he played it passionately passionately for his family, looking for Rosalie's approval. She liked it. Enough so to pull some strings to get it performed in its entirety at the Leipzig Theater the following year. Although that never actually happened. Something with the billing, of course. Oh, you know, they fight again. Someone forgot to, <laughs> you know, put the check in on time and all that shit. She wasn't as good pulling strings at the boarding house she was running, you know what I mean? Pulling them really oh, hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this play was actually never performed while Richard was alive. Oh, we still have it? Hmm. Uh, it was performed about 20 years after his death. Uh, probably not that good. Thank you, Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Upon learning his opera was going to be performed, he stopped talking, uh, taking his work at the opera house so seriously and began reading with all of his free time. He started reading literature that made him think a lot about what it meant to be German. He thought... He thought that the old Germany was too stuffy and that the progressive literature he was reading could be interpreted via German opera. In 1834, Richard wrote and conducted a show with his own Christopher Columbus overture, which you could listen to today. All right. uh, Which was extremely expensive to produce because of the size of the orchestra. It was just fucking enormous, man. Uh, The first two nights of the show... Had a very little turnout, and re- reportedly many concert goers left due to the intensity of the giant orchestra and uh, planned firearm discharging throughout the piece. <laughs> See, oh, that's bad. That's rad as hell. I that's think, also that's American. That Get was, off our turf, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that was kind of common, but it was just like a punctuation. But like it was the ex- exclamation point at the end of a piece, right? But he would just shoot them off. Go, oh yeah. Was yeah. it cannons, muskets, both? <laughs> Cannons and muskets. Oh man, I didn't know there's what what the future laid had in store. I just like this guy. So is there sheet music for musket? Like, is there like a sheet yeah, music? Yeah, it's, it's like a, oh, yeah, musket. bass bass clef. Uh, <laughs> yeah. From, yeah, if I'm understanding properly, there is. So awesome. Lots of lots of pause and rests. Yeah, <laughs> just waiting there for. It's a lot of counting too. You have a friend count. All right, your turn to count. <laughs> Especially it's like the sniper position. Are just, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Uh, the opera, I mean, the overture was closed. It didn't do very well. And it left Wagner in a lot of debt. Common theme throughout his life. Yeah. He was never good with money. Like, the money had been spent <laughs> long before. The guy who wagered his mom's life savings on a bet is not good with money. You wouldn't think. <laughs> yeah. He also he bought, like... <laughs> He bought, like, the most expensive muskets you could buy. Like, instead of just buying, like, cheap fucking Walmart gun. You know, like, oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, theater director's like, can't you just use a revolver? Can we rent them? <laughs> In 1836, Richard met his first wife, Christine Wilhelmine Planner, a.k.a. Mina. 
while working as a first-time conductor for Mozart's Don Giovanni. He was offered the gig by a musical director of the Magdeburg Opera House to conduct the score in two days. So he only had two days to turn this uh, into his vision. Wagner was going to split out the back door, but all of a sudden, Mina walks in, and he goes, well, maybe I'll stick around. Let's see how this goes. He takes the gig. He never actually conducted anything before in his life. He'd always just written it. Um, there was probably just some kind of miscommunication between the theater director and him, yeah. but I guess it just went over well, because how hard is it to fucking like conduct? You know right, the song, just, and you just go intensely like shake your hands. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I always, I, I always like wondered that. I'm just like, all you have to do is count and move your hands around. Yeah, and like, if you know how to read music, or if you wrote the music, you're like, okay, I know the fucking flute is coming in right now, so I'm gonna point at that guy and count at him. Yeah, let <laughs> him know. And then when you want something to be intense, you just like make a face at someone. Yeah, <laughs> hit the timpani. <laughs> <laughs> Mina was a real hottie for her time, uh, house-trained, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Richard, on the other hand, he was not. He was a very messy dude who, as I mentioned before, just disgusting, acne, boils, pimples, ew, gross. He was prone to violent outbreaks and destructions, uh, especially of things he thought were too bougie. He oh, was, he was weird. Right. You know, was if you saw a hipster? candlestick he didn't like, he was like, it's the kind of, oh, just uh, fucking... New German shit. We want that yeah. old German shit. <laughs> His wife just had all those like live, laugh, love signs up in German. Like, Liebe, Liebe, Luba. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, he's like, what the fuck's this shit? Let's put up some like I gotta, beer hall titties. I gotta imagine the German housewife version of that is just like a list of things to do. Like make your bed. <laughs> like yeah. wash the dishes. It's like the same thing. Mop. Yeah. Stay organized. Uh, they were a weird couple, but she liked him enough and seemed to not be bothered by his disgusting face, so she stuck around. Uh, she had a lot of faith in his talents, too, so it worked out. He was able to uh, network okay. through her. She was a successful actor who wasn't his sister, so that went a long way. They were probably not really in love, either. Seemed like a marriage of convenience for both of them, maybe? Yeah. They would break up all the time and then get back together and... Um, doesn't matter. Richard was given funds to produce his opera Das Liebersvetsbot. The first night of the opera, only two people sat in the audience, and right as the curtain was about to lift, those two people's those for those two people's entertainment, a domestic abuse situation happened in the backstage. Now, no one could say for sure if it was a self-defense situation or not, but someone ended up socking their wife, and uh, yeah, they had to. Ask Wait. everyone to leave, the two people in the audience. We can't do the show tonight. Someone's bleeding. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> so two people went to a show, and there is a violent outbreak backstage. Yeah, uh, the cast of and 30 people. And we're not people. sure who. <laughs> what, something happened, like, I just know someone's wife got hit. Okay. It was probably, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. 
Might have been a lover's tryst. Yeah, it could have just been a Dana White situation. For a second, I was picturing the two people in the audience fighting each other. (laughs) Oh, that would be funny. (laughs) (laughs) here. Why did you bring me to this place? (laughs) Excuse me, this is my seat. Germans would do that. I am in seat E7. (laughs) I'm just imagining this being like, you know, when you see like a local, when you're like, oh, I love this band, but they're kind of like, you know, niche or whatever, and you go to see them at some like bar or something. Thing. And you're like the only people there. Oh yeah, I've been like, there a few times. Yeah, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll sit at the bar and drink and pretend I don't like them because no one else is here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So he had been given the funds to produce that opera, and since it was such a flop, um, he was in a lot of debt. Wow. In 1837, within a week. Of the closing of this opera, his creditors were chasing him around town. Uh, even more upsetting is that his poodle ran away. Oh no! Hiding from his creditor and losing a dog was enough uh, incentive for him to leave the city of Magdeburg and visit his, at the time, estranged girlfriend Mina in Königsberg. In Königsberg, he proposed to Mina. She accepted, and he immediately regretted asking. <laughs> In his journal, he wrote that this was probably the biggest mistake in his life. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm picturing the, like, Arrested Development, where it's like, once something happens, just immediately, I've made a huge mistake. Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. She's giving him a big hug. It's like, fuck. Scheisse. (laughs) It's kind of what a lot of this is. Uh, He's very passionate, (laughs) and, uh, you know, things don't boil over well. They fought endlessly right up into the wedding ceremony. All the attendees were actors from the theater. No real friends or family within miles. This is pretty sad. Yeah, that is, that is pretty upsetting. Yeah. A year after the knot was tied, Mina ran away to her parents' place in Dresden. Richard hunted her down so they could resume a normal married life. After a month or so of, like, forcing himself into their home, um, she agreed to hang out with him again, only to run away a week later. So I'm picturing him looking kind of like a vampire slayer, you know, like in like one of those way Wayman's coats, like in a wagon, just like riding through the night looking for his wife. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably how he saw himself. In June of 1837, Richard moved to Riga in Russia and became the local opera house director. He was a big fan of how Russians ran their opera and their opera house. The layout was better, and uh, they actually dimmed the lights during the performances, which I didn't know that Germans didn't do. Well, I guess 1840s dimming is probably a new technology, right? I guess. I mean, I guess they snuff out some of the candles. Yeah, I think it's just (laughs) blow out candles. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, honey, do you hear that they dim the lights here? That's like like Dolby Atmos surround sound. Yeah. (laughs) They make it a little darker. In his opinion, uh, much more professional. There he wrote and conducted his opera, Rienzi, um, or better known as Dare Let's Dare Tribune. I don't know why I said that. It's no one knows it as that. <laughs> it's Dude, the that was my favorite. Rienzi. What? You're just trying to be like one of those like uh, like uh, music guys that are very pretentious. You're like I don't even know what that first one's called. It's called Dear. It's Dear Frenzy. Yeah, something like that. It's way better. Way better. 
That is me right now. I'm also, I haven't presented an episode in a long time, so I feel rusty. And then if I remember correctly, I've never been good at it. So, <laughs> and it's always not, actors. So, I'm not just rusty. Yeah. I'm, yeah, just reading a script. Some might call you a rusty trombone right now. Oh, man. My, don't, my gut. <laughs> I just pushed out a couple of rusties. <laughs> uh, he also may have started kissing Mina's sister. Amelie, who uh, Mina brought with her for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, while in Russia, Richard had a pet wolf. He tried ah. to domesticate it, but the thing kept biting people and shitting everywhere. So he released it into the Russian wild. So he didn't have a pet wolf. He caught a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Russia. In Russia, house. you can catch anything, even a woman. <laughs> that's like those people that have pet raccoons and then like they find out like the raccoon like put its thumbs through their baby's eyes like yeah. i don't know it was a good fucking boy and then all of a sudden <laughs> yeah he never would do this uh, until just now when he did it <laughs> we've had him for three whole weeks yeah. so sweet so kind in riga he grew uh he grew to hate theater people though which is you know I smart and he fell out with the director. His feelings on Russia did take a quick 180, and uh, he made a departure to Paris after their last performance. Uh, not not that simple, since Mina and Richard actually accumulated a hefty amount of debt, uh, which would restrict him from normal border passage routines. He had to hide and seek his way out of Russia to avoid being seriously penalized for his debts. Oh, man. He's going to go to debtor's prison. This is, they, they haven't even abolished serfdom at this point. No. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> luckily, he did make it out. Uh, Mina was a fan of this plan to re leave Russia. She never liked it to begin with. Um, and leave the debt behind, too. So, you're telling me in an alternate universe, Wagner starts the Trans-Siberian Orchestra that plays, like, Metallica and, like, Christmas Music with yeah, guitars? Actually, yes. Okay. That's pretty much all his idea. All those <laughs> blue high guitar players. Um, so while they got to leave their debt behind, um, Richard refused to leave their massive Newfoundland dog behind. Well, it's the so closest that thing made, to the wolf. <laughs> that made uh, escaping much more difficult. <laughs> After trying to escape via carriage for some time, with the dog strolling along the side and shitting on the inside, they decided to take the dog via boat to London, then hop to Paris from there. The dog was snuck on board, and by the time it was too late to turn around, the dog had begun terrorizing the crew and passengers. Yeah, like, that tracks. Yeah. You gotta train your dog. A big old drooly Newfoundland. He's an artist. You yeah. gotta let him let his shitty dog fuck your life up. Yeah. He came up with the idea of an emotional support animal. <sighs> he needed <laughs> emotional support at all times. Uh, the stay in London, after the stay in London, they scooted over to France, um, running into one of Richard's heroes, which was a, a gentleman named Jacob Meyerbeer. Now, he was a famous composer, one of the best at the time. Wagner had written Meyerbeer many dick-sucking fan letters, not knowing his uh, legacy would be drastically overshadowed uh, that of Meyerbeer's. Uh, Meyerbeer took him in for a visit. Richard made study of his face, saying how it wasn't as gross as other Jewish faces he had seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Meyer Beer liked the young composer. What? 
and uh, gave him letters of recommendation to meet other industry folks in Boulogne, France. So he was one of the good ones? Is that what you're... <laughs> I shouldn't be yeah, told, yeah. you look good for a Jew. Yeah, And being like, much. I like this guy. <laughs> well, he didn't say it to his face. He didn't say it to okay. his Jewish face. Uh, he just noted later. Uh, but later in life... Richard would curse Meyer Beer's name, even though Meyer Beer was nothing but kind and supportive throughout his whole career. Uh, I may have just spilled the beans. This this sounds like uh, a a twice famous version of the of Stan from the Eminem song, where, <laughs> where he's sitting at home writing letters to Mr. Meyer Beer, not getting a response, and is like, "I fucking hate the Jews now." Well, I I would. Th- it w- it's a stretch only because they did correspond mm, constantly. He wrote back? Yeah, they oh, did. Oh, I thought it was just him. No, and- Meyer Beer was a gracious gentleman. Gotcha. And he had time and, uh, f- like, he would write correspondence with we other We should celebrate composers. Meyer Beer instead of Wagner, then. Yeah. We're not celebrating Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> a collective we, the royal we. Sure, yeah. Actually, I didn't. I don't even know what any of his tunes sound like. It would be really funny if it was just like shitty marching music. Let's listen to some Meyer beer. Like he designed the circus music. I forgot that composer. When we used to have our Mayday parties, I put that on the playlist, though, the circus music. Um, I just wanted to highlight how stupid what we were doing was. I, I imagine, like, I guess kind of like don't meet your heroes, because like, I imagine if I stuck around in like film school in the early 2000s and I just like went to SVA, like maybe I would have r- written a report about like how influential Harvey Weinstein was and like how much I like him <laughs> and how much he's like impacted the movie industry. And then you I know. love Miramax. <laughs> hey, if you want to get the podcast a new uh, demographic, <laughs> write that now. <laughs> <laughs> in paris his dog ran away no so oh. he made the whole trip and then the dog was like fuck you guys i'm gonna eat croissants <laughs> uh there richard met franz litz we all know him list i might be saying that wrong L- franz list uh he was about the same age as richard but he had uh considerable attention for being one of europe's top piano players he was top game and he was like his. I feel like his music is like way more dainty and like blah 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 blah. I blah. think so too, but that might just be because his name sounds kind of homosexual. And <laughs> is he French? No, he's also France. German. Oh, okay, uh, a lot of Germans in France. Uh, <laughs> Again, another problematic thing: Germans in France. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I kind of like it here. <laughs> you should tell our children to come. Um. <laughs> Richard was gracious in front of List, but he was very jealous. I mean, List was huge. He had all this money, and Richard was broke, of course. He was, like, barely getting it together. He came across the tale of the Flying Dutchman and decided to adapt it into his own opera. He found as much literature on the myth as possible, and uh, he became obsessed with it and the idea of a ghost ship tale. That was, like, his thing. So if you don't know what the... the, uh, Flying Dutchman is it's a um it's a ship that was forever cast to roam the oceans until I think the captain found true love but yeah like you can't find love on the ocean so it's spooky it's a ghost tale. Ship. 
Yeah. Uh, he took the legend very seriously, actually, which is funny because a lot of people were like, "That's fun," <laughs> and he's That's like, just "No, like fun... it's real." Yeah. He was yeah. like, <laughs> he he wasn't. It wasn't that he was trying to say it was real. He was like, "Look how poetic it is," and yeah. everyone was over it. it. Like the literature had been written. It would be like you know, it's like a horror director that takes themselves too serious. Yeah, like Emnon Shimalim. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, like, like no horror is fun. Talk. Yeah. I like I like seeing a man like in the thing like tentacles popping out of it. There's like no see the artistic creativity of like the way Jason uh, you know slashes into that man's body. <laughs> it's like no man, it looks cool. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. freaks me out. Remember there when he was is, in outer space? There is like just on a, a quick aside, like with the horror movie stuff. That guy Ari Aster, the guy who did Hereditary yeah. and uh, the other one, what was that? Uh, Midsummer, yeah. Green Knight. Yeah, like Did I haven't Green seen Knight? Green Knight. Or was that that might have been something? I think else. that was A twenty four, so it's oh, the same okay. like production house, but I, I really don't know liked, if that was him. But really either way, like Hereditary came out and then like all these horror movies were like there was already enough horror movies trying to be serious. And mm-hmm. now there's a billion of them. Now it's all of them. <laughs> and it yeah. sucks. Yeah. So he made good shit, now everyone's copying him and it's like awesome. We need to go back to the B movie horrors of the eighties. Yeah, I like, want the Charlie Band shit. I yeah. want Roger Corman. I want humanoids from the deep raping white women. Give <laughs> <Doing> Troll One. <laughs> yeah, Troll One, dude. Shout out to Harry Potter. <laughs> um, where the hell was I? That was a dumb tangent. Now, Green Knight was David Lowry. Oh, uh, okay. He did the Watchtower, I think, or the Lighthouse. The Lighthouse was cool. Or maybe Would I'm going to call that horror, though. That was just like suspense. Yeah. I don't know. All right, this is a stupid conversation. Okay, so while in France, he began writing as a music journalist through one of his connections he made through Meyerbeer, obviously a German uh, outlet of sorts. I guess he was just writing correspondence and sending it in. He never spoke a word of France, uh, fr- France, French, uh, because it's a heinous language. Yeah. Um, Too many French. Agreed. As it turns out, Wagner was an excellent journalist, and his columns were very re- well thought out. And they weren't, when he first started, they were nothing like his character, like the egotistical thing. He was very objective, would just write about music. He wouldn't shit on anyone too much, uh, which was weird because when you knew him, that's all he did. He He just shit on people. So he's like Anthony Fantano. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just like that creep. Uh, Funny enough, he went from being an excellent journalist within like a few months to being a crazy journalist talking extremely highly of himself and hinted that he was the future of German music. Um, but I guess it wasn't heavy handed enough for the editors to not include it. So there's all these like papers that are written up where Wagner, like he's only 23, 24 being like that guy's opera was fantastic. I love it. But the ones I'm going to write, man, that's <laughs> they're going to blow that shit out of the fucking water. Like, really I mean, it does weird. sound like Kanye. <laughs> yeah, and he was right. <laughs> You're kind of right about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, well, and little did he know, I mean, that's obviously a false statement because industrial music wouldn't be invest- invented until like the 80s. Oh, good point. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, here's a quote from one of, one of his writings. It's one of his most famous quotes. Uh, I believe in God, Mozart, and Beethoven, and likewise their disciples and apostles. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the truth of one indivisible art. I believe that art proceeds from God and lives within the hearts of all illuminated men. Uh, did I say illuminated? 
Yeah. I think, whatever. Illumined? Illumined? I'm just leaving that in. (laughs) I believe that he who once has bathed in the sublime delights of his high art is consecrate of her forever and can never deny her. I think referring to art is her. Oh, I thought we were about to be like, oh, he's got a a lady god? That's very progressive for an 18. Alanis Morissette from Dogma. Next episode, we'll get into some of his weird dog shit theories. Um, (laughs) I believe that through art, all men are saved. So he thinks very highly of art. And if you've ever met a person who's like that, they're working at Starbucks and should yeah. be put out of their misery. It's like the people are yeah. like, music saved my life. It's like, you are 18 years old. You're dead. <laughs> you, yeah. You are, you need to chill. <laughs> you saw Dave Matthews saved my life. Yeah. That's... He probably shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. There's a time and place for the suicide booth in Futurama, and that would be people like that. Yeah. I mean, my personal view on, like, I have a whole, I do the podcast about music, you know, have you, I'm like, I just can't take music seriously. It's all so stupid. How can you not see that? It shouldn't be taken seriously. That's, that's yeah. Why. Even that's why it's nice. Even serious music, you need to be able to remove yourself and be like, this is an abstraction of an idea that I'll never be able to wrap my head around. And to take this seriously means I'm a fucking joke and I take myself too seriously. Yeah. yeah. Don't be a loser. Yeah. Don't, uh, 22-year-old Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen up, Tom. <laughs> God, I wish. I wish I could go back and fix the way I thought. <laughs> uh, one thing to note about Wagner is that he begins writing his Flying Dutchman, and um, he can't write music unless there's a profound meaning behind the notes. So he can never just write a little ditty like he did with the fugues. He was he was beyond that. He said every note needs a emotional motivation behind it. So a story needs to be told. You need to act, so. Hence the operas, or he will Every uh, relabel them later. I don't like that. <laughs> no, me neither. Yeah. Make something that sounds good. Like, man, that's yes. just a sharp G, all right? That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah. The note sounds good. Play it. He would never, <laughs> that doesn't fly with him. He's like, why are you playing that note? What is the person feeling in this moment that made you play that note? Like someone humming on a bus that he's on, and he's like, why are you humming? What's that tune mean yeah. to you? Yes. Um, imagine if he was like shown like Miles Davis style jazz where they just improv. He'd his brain would explode. Well, don't don't start by showing him a picture of Miles Davis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then wait, Sammy Davis was the Jewish one. Yeah, yeah. So definitely don't show him. Sammy. Yeah, no. that would be the worst. That yeah. would be like how he would get, he would actually show him Sammy Davis. Then he would give up music. Yeah, and he, we never would have had to deal with him. <laughs> yeah, good point. We can go back, but either way, he needed to write a story. So it was f- uh, Flying Dutchman. That's what he was writing when he came up with this mindset. This continued throughout his whole life, and all the stories were basically just a surrogate with how he, uh, for how he felt about things. So everything was just like, "What would I do? I'm the main character." He loves himself. Mm-hmm. When he did eventually raise a little money to help him out with the libretto for Flying Circus, it wasn't enough to provide any sort of improvement to their quality of living. So a libretto, to to clear us up, is basically the lyrics, the words, to the opera. Gotcha. Um, That's what the lady is screaming in a high pitch. Exactly. And usually it would take a libretto writer and a music writer. That's how it would work. My opinion on this is that you don't need lyrics in opera because no one can understand what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Then I I actually (laughs) listen to Pavarotti and I'm like, wow, that's actually some dope ass shit. Uh, Dude, Pavarotti, that dude (laughs) kills. Yeah. 
Yeah. I want to see that fucking tour, Papa Roach and Papa Roach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Papa John's. Yeah. Tear my life into pieces. Yes. This is my last tuxedo. <laughs> he now needed to find funds to produce it after writing his libretto. No one wanted to get involved due to its three and a half hour runtime. He went around <laughs> trekking the streets of Paris, knocking on doors of all the rich people going, hey, I have this beautiful libretto written for a play that everyone's going to like, um, to which all of the poor people said, uh, not poor people, all the rich people said, go away. <laughs> and um, he was just about to throw his cap in for the day, and he sees his Newfoundland dog. No way, the dog. <laughs> so he spends the next hour or so chasing this thing down, but to no avail, and he considered it a an omen, a dark omen around the Flying Dutchman that he wasn't able to catch his dog. Doesn't he know that to get a dog to come to you, you run away from it? I don't think the dog liked him at all. I think <laughs> no, the dog yeah. just saw him. Well, I want to go back to Russia. You fucking yeah, animal. you know how they say sometimes animals can like see the real person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> that dog was Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, why do you have that tiny little hat on your head? <laughs> so maybe it was because they were the most broke they had ever been, but they were just, they were hungry all the time. Uh, he didn't have soles on his shoes for a while. It was broke. The life was garbage. By age 28, he had written four operas and only one was performed and was sitting on the other three, just hoping that they'd be produced. He didn't like Paris anymore. He was over it. He didn't like their goopy language. He liked his own goopy language. He missed German culture. Mm. Um, he missed the Autobahn or something or whatever they had. Um, he really hit bottom here. He's yeah. 28. He's just like, God damn. God. You know what his problem was? What? He ain't got no soul. Oh. Boom, 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 boom. Out of nowhere, April 1842. Two operas were picked up by different opera houses. Rienzi was picked up by Dresden, and Flying Dutchman was picked up by Berlin. These two productions were uh, mostly, the only reason they happened, Meyerbeer. A oh, Jew. Oh, my God. A Jew hooked him up. They, he insisted that they pick up the young, genius, anti-Semite operas. Oh, my God. This Ooh. guy, what a piece of work. Again, this, more and more leaning towards this Kanye West of the yeah. 19th century. <laughs> he, is, he is Kanye West. <laughs> so Rienzi, uh, it's a six-hour play. Jesus. And for some reason, it went over extremely well. What? <laughs> uh, people were just like, oh, I can't leave my seat. I don't care that I have to pee. Oh, also, I can just pee and poop everywhere because it's 1840s Germany. Yeah. Hour four, bring in the roast chicken. For me. Yeah, people sat through <laughs> Avatar and said it was good. Yeah. <laughs> what a big lie. Yes. Another big lie. Do you think that wasn't a Chinese balloon? That was fucking James Cameron and his balloon. Yeah. James Cameron dead over South Carolina. He's like, I I'm making a map of the earth so I can so I could use it for the next avatar. It's not papyrus, it's actually a customized font. Can't wait to see that movie and kill myself. That will be the same day, I assure you. <laughs> Watch it on an airplane like James Cameron always wanted. No, because I wouldn't do that to the other people. That would be yeah. so rude if I was just sitting there watching Avatar. Like, if you're sitting there watching Avatar, it's like, that's fine. You probably vote. <laughs> All right, so this six-hour play went real great. Three months later, 
Flying Dutchman in Berlin. Didn't go so well, but um, the money from Rienzi was enough to get Wagner a sick position in the royal as a royal composer through King George of Saxony. The position was mostly positive. He's got money now, locked in money. That's sick. Uh, free time and the ability to bar- boss around an orchestra, which he was apparently a nightmare at. He would he would just rip people apart. Oh, he's tar. Ooh. He would say all these like dumb things, like you're not feeling your instrument enough. And a guy would be like, it's in my hands, and I'm playing it. I'm like, a professional. I've loved I'm, this thing every night. I'm twice your age. <laughs> I've been doing this forever. But it didn't matter. He just like, play it more better. Um, But that's cool. So we're one, in the 1840s now, right? We're 1840s. We're about 1843 right now. Uh, one problem with getting a public position like this, all those people he owed money to, they were knocking on his door like motherfuckers. They were going, we know where you live. And we know you're getting paid. (laughs) Richard escaped the collectors and retreated into his world of fantasy through folk legend and newly published Grimm's fairy tales. See, those kept coming out for a while. In his new apartment, furnished lavishly by Mina, Richard had collected all the great literature he can get his hands out. And uh, he planned to work through them all. He was a big reader. Um, One thing that was kind of weird, he picked up, he wanted to read all these literary works in their native language. So, like, and everywhere all over Europe, that's where he's picking these shits up. So he's not reading The Lion King. Well, he, maybe he had The Lion King, well, but no, he always... The Lion King is just Hamlet. He already did it. Oh, so. yeah, that's true. <laughs> so unlike a lot of people at the time, he only spoke German. So he would have, like, entire <laughs> walls of books that he would just never be able to read. It's like, oh, see, so you're reading this. Like, I don't know, that's French drivel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you reading? I don't know. I was looking at the pages. He was, re- like, a lot of his free time, he just read. He was way into reading, way into getting in his own head about stuff. Um, his Maybe pop- he was doing audiobooks, like hiring French maids to just read Victor Hugo to him. Translate it. Get the subtleties. He's so, like, romantic and, like, you know, about emotions and subtleties yeah. and all that shit. It's just like, what are you thinking? You idiot. <laughs> his popularity soared uh, in a very short amount of time he was referred to as the uh... <laughs> did I really write this <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no no this is crazy so um, some of the German press started referring to him as the great white hope what? Uh, which <laughs> what? is what, what some people call Donald Trump <laughs> uh, what, why did why they did call they... him that <laughs> I don't know it's 1840s Europe. Why do they have to specify white? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think white may have had a different meaning. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was really funny. I read that and I was like, I just did a, a legit take back. And I was just like, did I just like think of Jesse Lee Peterson? And have a good chuckle. No, this was real. This so was I'm in assume- the research. I'm assuming because he wore like long tall tees that were white. Yeah, that's, that's why. And fresh With jeans. Yeah. Constantly. Uh, The 30-year-old Wagner was loved by critics. They praised Rienzi, and Wagner thought that they were all idiots because by this point he had transcended the writings of Rienzi, and anyone with with a brain should have known that. So very condescending, not not a good guy to appreciate because it would probably just blow up in your face. (laughs) And he'll owe you money. (laughs) Oh, I love your work. That's stupid. Wagner started writing Tannhauser. It's one of his best-known operas. After much writing and organizing and uh, kicking singers off stage for not doing the right opera, 
doing it right at the opera in Dresden in 1845. Um, what, I, what is this fucking sentence I wrote? Sorry, guys, it's been a while. I'm leaving this in. Doesn't matter. Anyway, he's doing this stuff. Tannhauser, that's what he's on about. He's also performing. He's he's still on the royal joint. He, what's he playing when he performs? Piano? He doesn't play. He's just a um, composer. Oh, composer. So he's, he's an arm, he's arm a, swinging yeah. man. Arm swing. He's <laughs> writing it. He's doing all the paperwork, getting it out there, handing out the sheets of paper. Yeah, gotcha. Um, whatever that sentence was supposed to be, uh, think about that at home, folks. Um, he felt that the German performances were still stiff of everything he was doing. Uh, later, as... The play's popularity took off, Tannhauser. He began handing out this leather-bound manuscript for how to perform his play. And he called it a play at this point. He didn't like the term opera. He liked uh, oh. a, or, or a, a drama. He used the term okay. drama. So uh, unlike any other professor, uh, professor, composer in history, he wrote up a legit manuscript and would hand it out to all the theaters that would be performing, being like, you got to hit all these points. Yeah. If you're going to do my fucking drama, you got to cover this. Everyone, of course, scoffed at this. They were like, I'm, yeah. I'm a professional too, buddy. Like, I know you need singer. Like, no, it has it here. <laughs> Tannhauser. Is, is a Tannhauser gate something from, like, Star Trek? Am I thinking of that? Maybe. Because <laughs> you said Tannhauser, and I immediately was just thinking... Tannhauser gate, but I don't know what that could possibly be in reference I don't, to. We'll but... pause, pause for research. Um... While you're looking that up, I'll try to read this sentence again in my head. Oh, no, the Tannhauser Gate is from the monologue at the end of Blade Runner. Oh, okay. I wouldn't uh, remember that. Okay. Yeah. Well. There you go. Either way, that's, that's him. <laughs> that's what he did. He wrote Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> He's Harrison Ford. Yeah. So he was not the kind of guy to just write one project at the time. He would have several going all the time and working on one composition would spark inspiration for another and so on and so forth. It, it made him like a h hardcore workaholic. None of this is important. He's dead now. So <laughs> can't work no more. He's gone with his, uh, Royal position on lock and the opera success. Wagner became very annoying. Anyone around him just hated being around him. He would just uh, not shut up about his yeah. ideas. <laughs> well, he was already, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All that was just heightened. <laughs> yes. Well, he was so, a shit now, because now he's getting paid to be him. Right. So, Tom, are we going to get into, like, the big conspiracy about why he became so popular in the late 1840s? Wait, what is your... What is this... Saxophone was invented in 1846. Oh, yeah, we did mention that before. Yeah, you so, did. I mean, yeah. the best instrument in the world, Wagner. Boom! All right. There you go. <laughs> I, I, Simple as. Who am I to uh, change history? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that uh, he's related, Wagner's related to Bill Clinton? I hope so. He's actually also related to Socks the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell am I? So he's got the position on lock. He's annoying. He doesn't shut up. People do not like his company. The position boosted his ego beyond belief. That's it. In, 18, <laughs> in 1848, tensions between the German states and the population were at an all-time high. Saxony, the Austrian Empire, Bavaria, Prussia were taxing the heck out of the people, and no one likes that. No. Many things happened, and I don't care to discuss them. 
Wagner was heavy into his left-wing politics, which is very different than our left-wing politics. Both the a result of the devil, but um, not <laughs> the same. <laughs> um, he wanted a united Germany with a constitutional monarchy situation. He wanted to get rid of the concept of money, which I think a lot of people in debt want to get rid of the concept <laughs> of money. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Hello, I was thinking a guy that literally has yeah. to sneak out of countries because yeah. he's that in debt. Man, that Ask makes him sense. when he's on a winning streak what he thinks of the concept of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this shit. I love it. Love it. Uh, he was invited one night to give a speech in front of 3,000 Dresden socialites. And um, it was his first speaking engagement. And it had something to do with like all the, these ideas. Like, you know, he read a lot, like I mentioned. So he, had, he was reading all these pamphlets of all these extremist stuff. Um, and I guess it went over really well with these socialites. So people liked the way he talked, which I mean, that that's never hurt any 6 million people, but it's, um, it, it, it kind of drew a rift between him and the Royal society. So the courts did not like what he was saying, Mm. but a lot of the socialites who were patrons of his art were, so he didn't feel like any burn right up front. But the press was after him, and the Royal Institute was after him. All right. So I know he was mainly kicking it in England, but this is also like Karl Marx time, right? Yeah. 1840s? So I, yeah, Karl, Karl Marx. Um, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because he does kind of – they don't meet each other, but Wagner meets someone who becomes friends with him. Um, like Angles or something? Uh, no, I'll, I'll – no, not that guy. What's his name? It's in the, it's in the old sheet here. Uh, we'll get to it. Okay. Wagner went to Vienna to pitch an opera. Um, no company in Vienna wanted to pick up any opera he had. So to make use of the trip, he visited a far-left group just to see what was happening. He just popped his head in and was like, Hey, guys, uh, no one wants to buy my opera. Isn't money bad? <laughs> When he returned to Dresden, there was talk of expelling him from the Royal Theater for being a radically left goon. Wagner went and vented to his friends an editor of far-left newspaper, Volksblatter, uh, a fellow named August Roquel, who further radicalized him, probably with blowjobs. Mm. Oh. the politi- way to radicalize people, though. Yeah, yeah. It sure is. That's how Fidel Castro came to power. That's why he was always practicing. On that That's why he always had a cigar, cigar in his mouth. He just had to. It was like you know, warming up. Got, got <laughs> stuck in that natural position. Yeah. The political tensions uh, made him a hero to some and an enemy to others. Uh, he kept his post as royal conductor, but no longer cared for it. He was just going through the motions at this point. Mm. No longer involved in the arts. He he uh, didn't like where they how they were getting paid. You know what I'm saying? Mm. He's out. Palm Sunday, 1849, he conducted the Dresden Royal Orchestra in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. In the audience was Russian anarchist uh, Mikhail Bukhanin. Now, Bukhanin was a strange character, influential in several European revolutions in the mid-1800s. Wait, Bukhanin? The philosopher? Yeah, Bukhanin. Oh, I didn't know they Bukhanin. 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 Wait, how do you say it? I'm trying now. You said it too much. Now. Yeah, <laughs> not my head. <laughs> oh, Bukonin, whatever. I would say Bukonin, but that's probably not right either. 
Yeah, well, so Bukinen, that's the guy who you asked about Karl Marx before. They had had correspondence, and while they weren't exactly eye-to-eye, they were both radical enough to uh, just mix shit up. Um, and he would also make a... Um, he would do well in the casting call for a dog thief in the Ace Ventura movie. <laughs> oh. Uh, um, Bakunin, or... Uh, yeah, Bakunin. We're going with that. Bakunin, which I will mess up later, uh, was considered by Slavic countries to be the most dangerous active terrorist. This would be like meeting uh, Hassan Iz al-Din or Abdul Rahamin Yassin or Aham Ibrahim al-Musagal or Dennis Hopper in Speed. <laughs> Dude, I don't know who Dennis Hopper is, but the other guy, that was a funny joke. <laughs> Bukhanin was a big fan of Wagner and was very vocal about preserving art and music through all revolution. The Saxony parliament had been dissolved and things were starting to melt around him. Raquel had escaped and Wagner had took over as editor of Volksplatter. Wagner started attending more political talks and spoke mostly of arming revolutionaries. He had ordered a box of hand grenades and kept them on himself and the Volksblatt, Volksblatter headquarters at all times. So he goes from artist to revolutionary very quick. Wow. All right. It was kind of seamless, too. Very strange uh, the way he just kind of rolled into it. So this is like when Kanye said George Bush does not care about black people, but, but then he also like, sucked Trump, Trump's dick <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, this led to an event known as the May Uprising in Dresden. This was... 1849. It was a pivotal point in Germany, the German revolutions. They call it the German revolutions of 1848. Well, there's just the whole European revolutions of 1848. Yeah. It's all over. Well, either way, this was the May Uprising was kind of the last nail in the coffin in this Um, particular area of all the unrest. Um, The Prussian army swept into town and violent outbreaks overtook Dresden. Wagner, acting as a true uh, people's champion, hid in a bell tower throughout the fighting. Mm. He, was, <laughs> he witnessed his opera house burn down. He had grown to hate the place, so he was pretty psyched. He was like, that's sick. Oh, See you later. Yeah. Yep. The revolutionaries took control of the city for a day or two, and when the rest of the Prussian army arrived to help the Saxony government, their cause was squashed real quick. Bakunin and Raquel escaped the city, only to be ratted out caught and sentenced to death. Wagner was supposed to be riding with them, but had to catch another carriage. He fled Germany altogether and ran into Franz Liszt, who coincidentally was planning a production of Tannhauser. Ah. Liszt actually helped him out with a fake passport, since he was, you know, he's a wanted man now. Mina was pissed at him, because, like, Mina was like, she didn't Wait, care they're for still the together? Yeah. yeah, I was kind of shocked she's still around. <laughs> she's still around. And she didn't care. Like, she wasn't involved in politics at all. Yeah. So, like, one day she has, like, this husband who is at least paying the mortgage on this property and had the royal orchestra job. And the next day she's like, oh, my husband fled the country. Awesome. <laughs> He's a fugitive. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, he went down to that burned, over, burned out opera house and spray painted a dick on the side of it <laughs> before he left. <laughs> So his first stop out of Germany was Zurich. The great German composer would not be back in Germany for the next 11 years. And we will leave the part one there. I hope he makes it back. Yeah. We'll see. I hope hope his Jewish dog makes it back, too. (laughs) If he knew that dog was Jewish, he might have been chasing it for other reasons. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can't. 
like I know I mentioned a few times in the episode, but I can't stop making the comparison between him and Kanye. How it's Kanye was like, I am the voice of the generation, and like, you know, like Yeah, I mean just big headed artists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is I mean, he's a good parallel. Pretty good. Yeah. You know, any they also both hate Jews, yeah. so yeah. it works. Yeah. Similar ideologies. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Do you think Wagner pro- Wagner probably be like Kanye, he's one of the good ones? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Him yeah. Kodak Black. <laughs> um all right, in all seriousness, we have more of this coming up. More Wagner. Yeah, well, thank you, Tom. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. I feel like um, reading's not my strong point, guys. I don't, don't know. worry, you're pr- getting practicing. <laughs> yeah, you're getting practicing, Tom. Your homework is to watch some reading Rainbow. Oh, with LeVar Burton. <laughs> yes. Use the, do the Duolingo for English. Yeah. Duolingo for English. <laughs> Start over again. This is a key. Now say key. Key. <laughs> oh well, thank you for bringing Wagner. Uh, very interesting, and we're gonna jump into I think more more politics next episode, kind of right. Um, no, I I am trying to remove some of the politics. I'm just good. Like I like fo- focusing on the character because the politics don't make any sense. Like you know, you, you, the parallel you're making is very right, like with Kanye and him, but more like personality wise. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yes, he he does. Like we just mentioned, he has those very two close similarities. But it's like the political climates were entirely different. Yeah. Mm. Um. But the way they, like you said, their their character and the way they operated through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, he's probably gonna be rubbing more tips with like politics is what I'm kind of talking about. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get to the Nibelung. What's that? The Nibelung. The Rise of the Nibelung, isn't that one of his? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm still doing the research for ah. next week. So I'm actually, I oh, stick around and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we see. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, go to patreon.com slash roastmortemcast. Give us, I don't know, just a little bit, 40, 50 bucks a month. Nothing crazy. Yeah. More yeah. if you got it. Yeah. Um, or if you don't, just listen to the show. In the words of Richard Wagner, money's not real, so give it to us. Yeah. True. We're in a you lot know, of debt collectively. <laughs> Look, paying one, paying one uh, rent, one mortgage payment—that's fine. Do it twice, but the other one goes to us. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll pay a different mortgage. <laughs> yeah, we'll live in a better house than you. We're gonna have bluestone in our house. <laughs> I'm gonna have uh, redstone, like in Minecraft. I'm gonna have heated floors <laughs> and three bathrooms. Okay, thank you, Shane. Donald Shane. Bye.